Well, thanks very much, uh, Stephen. Well, then, thank you, everyone, for being here today. We are uh, going to think of a question today. Am I a Christian? Now, in the coffee break, someone sort of... I think they had their tongue-in-the-cheek intimated that I will be answering this question for myself. Am I a Christian? I'd say yes, close in prayer, and we'll go home. Uh, it's going to be a little bit longer than that, OK? Uh, for I'm not asking I am a Christian. Uh, but we're going to think about this very uh, important question today. And it's really a reflective question for you to think. Am I a Christian? We were reminded last week, and as you'll know, that when, when a census is completed in this country, in Scotland or in England and Wales, over 46% of people in this country identify themselves as a Christian. Uh, today in this place we're not going to uh, we're not holding the census, uh, but we are going to ask the hugely uh, significant and, what I'll say, reflective question. So it's not for me to answer for myself, though the answer is in the affirmative, but for you, based upon what the Bible says, to then be able to answer, am I a Christian? Based upon the Bible's definition, am I I a Christian and to help us to do that today or hopefully to help us to do that today we're going to do it under the sort of three other questions because if we ask the, this am I a Christian well we need to say what is a Christian then I mean we have some people seem to have difficulty in this uh, world nowadays in making basic definitions but am I a Christian what is a Christian so we need to know that before we can say, am I one? What is a Christian? Number two, how do I become a Christian? How does that happen? What happens? And could I be mistaken about being a Christian? Is that possible? Could I have ticked the census, uh, identified a as a Christian, but not really be one? Is that possible? Okay, so we'll think about that. Now, three questions, hopefully we'll get through. I just want to say we will spend a bit longer on the first than the second two. Okay, so if you're thinking, wow, this is, seems to take a time, don't worry, the, the other two will be a little bit quicker. I think, but we'll see. What I ask you to do, first of all, if you have a Bible, is to turn uh, to the book of Acts. This term, Christian. The term Christian is actually only used three times in our English Bibles. And the first time it's used is in the book of Acts. And we're going to use that passage as a basis today for ourselves. When we think, what is a Christian? So I'm going to read. Some of it is on the screen, though not all of it. Uh, Acts chapter 11, 19 to 26. And so let me read. Verse 19 of chapter 11. Now, those who are scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So there's that term, the term Christians, and as we've read together, it was first used of disciples, so called disciples uh, there. Now, it actually, it actually appears, though nowadays people uh, don't have it like this, it was really a term, it seems, of derision, uh, a term of shame put upon people who are of the party of Jesus Christ. So those who had a, an association uh, with this despised man who had been crucified, it appears that those who didn't like uh, the Lord Jesus Christ labelled people who were his followers Christians. You are of the party of Jesus Christ, that crucified one. So, we're going to think then, what is a Christian? And we're going to try and look at it from this passage. So firstly, I want to say this, that to be a Christian, you must have heard the message about Jesus Christ. We get that from many parts of the Bible, of course, but from verse 20, well, you can see it there. There were people who came and they preached. Now, what did they preach? They didn't preach about good moral standards, the things of the day, the political climate, and the rest of it. What they did is they came and preached the Lord Jesus. They spoke the truth, the message about Jesus Christ. You know, hearing or reading the message about the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely essential if anyone is to become a Christian. Yeah, we're going to consider as we move on uh, this morning that a Christian is someone who has placed their trust or their faith in him alone for their salvation. And Paul, and he wrote to the Romans, expressed it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit like this. He gives a promise in Romans chapter 10. You don't need to turn to it, I'll read it. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. So there's a promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's inclusive of anyone whatsoever who does that, and it's not a might be saved or could be saved, will be saved. So it's a definite promise there. But then he asks some rhetorical questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How could, how could someone call upon someone to save them if they haven't believed in them? Well, that's obviously they can't. And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? We can't call upon the name of Jesus Christ 
if we've never heard anything about him? Who, are we, who am I placing my faith in? Who am I exhorting you today to place your faith in? Who am I exhorting you today to continue trusting if you have trusted in him? Well, you must know about Jesus. Yes, if a Christian is someone who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a definition, so they must know about him. To know the essential truths. You know, as I've, I've been a Christian now for quite some time, 30 odd years, and I'm discovering things about him now, and I know I will continue to discover things about him that I didn't know. But however, when I came to know him, there were basic things that I knew as well, that I had to know. You're not a Christian because you know and affirm facts about him. Just because you know things about him does not make you a Christian. But you can't be a Christian without knowing something about him. To say you trust in him but then say I don't know who he is, what he done or anything like that is I trust you'll agree with me nonsensical to say that. And so throughout the book of Acts what we see is that the people, the apostles and others preach the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do they preach? Well let me just say there's a few things that are fairly common and basic throughout. We don't have to look too far. If your Bible is still open in Acts chapter 11, could I encourage you just to look to Acts chapter 10? Okay, Acts chapter 10. And I'm just going to highlight a few things that summarise what the apostles taught about Jesus Christ. You know, as we go through the book of Acts... Every sermon it is not recorded in its fullness. Otherwise, I, there'd been really short sermons. Maybe that would have pleased a lot of people. I don't know. And, and not everything is there. But we get, we get the summaries oftentimes. Firstly, number one, if we look at Acts chapter 10, Peter comes along and he, he speaks to Cornelius and others in a house, in the house, verse 37, and he says, You yourself know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did so how would i summarize that peter and others preached that jesus christ lived a perfect life without sin and he proved who he was by the very public miracles that he performed you know, people d couldn't deny the miracles that Jesus Christ would perform. They weren't anything hidden away in a dark place. Perhaps one, uh, the most astounding miracle he did, uh, we could sit and discuss this for quite some time, I'm sure, was the raising of Lazarus. You turn to John chapter 11 and the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the tomb of a man who, had been, who was dead, had been buried for four days. They open the tomb and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he does that very publicly. 
And even the opponents of Jesus could not deny that that happened at all. They couldn't say, and that's recorded for us, they could sort of say, oh, we're just going to deny that happened. There was no denial. Uh, what they came up with the idea is that he might kill Lazarus again, um, which is kind of ironic, really, because you think, well, he's been raised once, he could be raised twice. But the, things, the point is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ lived a perfect life without sin and proved he was God. Number one. Also, if we carry on, we see this that they always, they often, they always seem to always preach about the crucifixion. Look at verse thirty-nine, and there Peter summarizes it like this: They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, his death upon the cross, or as we have it here, upon the tree, is preached. He leads a perfect life without sin, but in God's plan, he is placed upon the cross. And that was always in the plan of God. Peter stood up earlier in Jerusalem. Uh, We have that recorded for us on the day of Pentecost and says this was God's predetermined plan. that His son would come to this world as a man, live a perfect life, but then go to the cross and take the punishment for sin upon the cross. He, in his own body, would bear the punishment for sin. Obviously, as we thought, not his own sin, because he had none. But he, in his love and his grace and his mercy, was the substitute, the representative of all who had ever come to trust in him for salvation. So that those who did that would never be punished for their sin, could be forgiven for their sin, not because God sweeps it under the table, because they could know, I am trusting in a saviour who took the punishment for sin upon the cross and he died as a punishment for sin. Then as we move on, there was another essential thing that the apostles always preached. And this is actually, when we go through the sermons of the apostles in the book of Acts, I would suggest to you a little bit more prominent than that which I just said. And it is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every summary that I have seen of preaching the gospel in the book of Acts mentions that God raised him on the third day. Look at verse 40 there in Acts chapter 10, if you've still got your Bibles open. God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You know, so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is of fundamental importance for anyone to know about. That the man who died upon the cross was raised by God and the resurrection is like God's amen to the death of Christ. He is saying, I'm satisfied with the work of Jesus Christ and he is now risen from the dead. Death could not hold him. The powers of death and the demons and devil could not hold him at all. And Jesus Christ rose victorious. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because the Bible records it and we believe the Bible, so many of us. But Peter's saying, look, I was a witness. And so were many others. You know, friends, 
just to sort of take a little bit of time on this, one of the reasons I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is this. That those people who were witnesses of that resurrection very publicly said we ate with him, we drunk with him, we even touched him. And when people said to you, if you keep preaching that, proclaiming that, we will punish you. Now if you're doing it for money or status, then you might just take a chance. They weren't doing it for anything like that. In fact, they were being ostracised from society when they said, we have seen him risen from the dead. And the vast, vast majority of them, including Peter who says this, died, were martyred, murdered, for saying they had been with the resurrected Christ. And friends, people might die for a concoction, something they've um, oh, they wouldn't die for a concoction, pardon me. Something they know they have made up. But these people said we are witnesses. And that is powerful evidence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there is his perfect life, there is his death upon the cross. He rose from the dead and oftentimes what we see, verse 42, in Acts chapter 10, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be, the ju- to be judge of the living and the dead. So there is a judgment to come. There is a judgment to come. If we were to turn um, later on when Paul is in Athens, he preaches nearly the same message. That God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. And he is given proof by a man, and he is given proof by this, by raising him from the dead. You see, everyone will see the Lord Jesus Christ. All roads do lead to him. They do. Whatever path you take in life, that will lead to seeing Christ. But there's only one path where you will then see him as your saviour. The others all lead to seeing him as your judge. And being judged for your sin. There is only one path, and that is through trusting in him that will enable you to see him as your saviour. So they preached that one day this man who rose from the dead will be the judge of the living and the dead. And of course, as you would anticipate, the fifth thing I want to say is this. They preached this, as I've intimated already, verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Do you see that? So when they preach about Jesus, they preach about his life, his death, his resurrection, and a future judgment, and then they bring it to this. To those who will believe in him, to those who receive him, to anyone and everyone who trusts in him, they can have forgiveness of sin. They will not stand before him as their judge, but they will see him as their saviour. Do you see the world of difference? 
that that makes. Well, that was what they taught. You had to know about Jesus Christ. If you're going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you must know some things about him. And these are some these are things you must know. I want to urge you today to believe those things. Well, because that's what happens, right? If I go back to Acts chapter 11, if you don't mind me going back to Acts chapter 11, they came, we saw verse 20, preaching Jesus, and as we see in the second little bit on the red, on the screen, they believed. How do I, or what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who knows the things about Jesus Christ and believes. And that belief is a a conscious decision based upon what they know about him involving the mind yes of course but involving the emotions and the will a change of mind that's what believing in Christ is a change of mind concerning him that results in a change of desires and actions and has ongoing implications in a person's life do you see that belief It's phrased, they believed and turned to the Lord. They turned to him. Well, that's what's implied there. That's obvious to all of us in basic English. At one point they were faced against him. But now they turn to him. If I turn to someone, it means at one time I'm not towards him, am I? But they turned to him. They turned away from whatever else was the, the priority in their life. Whatever else was Lord in their life, themselves or anything else. And they turned to him for salvation. And salvation would be found in him alone. I don't know if you've ever... I don't know if... I haven't seen too many these days. They must still exist. You know, you go past sometimes a shop, or you see it in a business, and it says this title across it, Under New Management. I don't know if you've seen that ever. You go past... Under New Management. I've sometimes been in those places, and I say it just looks the same as it did before, to be honest. But uh, I guess there's a new management. It just hasn't changed much. But that's not true when a person becomes a Christian. Yes, they are under new management. They are under new management. They have now confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. And now there is a change happening in their life. And that change will continue. It's not perfection, but there's a direction in life. There is a direction. That's a person who is a Christian who has trusted in Jesus Christ, acknowledged him as Lord. And now there is this direction in their life to persevere as we see look can i just direct you to verse 23 in acts chapter 11 uh, to remain faithful to keep going you know when a person comes a, a person is a christian it's not just someone who is at one point in time said a prayer and then nothing has changed or for the next few decades just lives as they always did There is a change. And that change is a change done by God who comes into a person's life, into the person's life. They are a Christian and they are gradually changed. As I say, that's not a perfection of life, but it's a direction of life. And countless people who are Christians could be called as witnesses today to come up here and give a testimony to the saving grace of God in their life, that they once were not turned to the Lord, but now they have turned to the Lord. Let me read a testimony, if I can, of a lady called Kieran Tor. 
I doubt any of you have ever heard of her, but she writes this. It's in a book of testimonies I'm reading. I was born in the UK, Karen writes, and raised in a Sikh family. I was brought up in a loving family in a secure and safe environment. I grew up believing in God, but I wasn't overly religious and religion was never forced upon me. From my earliest childhood memories, I recall that I was a typical tomboy. I dressed in boys' clothes, had short hair and excelled at sports. I didn't grow out of this tomboy phase and in my late teens, I discovered, I don't mean to offend anyone here, a lesbian TV series which I was really drawn to. I was intrigued by the lesbian lifestyle. At this stage, my internal battle was with same-sex attraction. Action. I couldn't confide in anyone. Even though watching this series made me realise my sexual confusion was in some, one sense completely unwanted, and I knew the shame it would bring, it gave me comfort that I wasn't the one who felt this way. I eventually accepted I was gay and came out to my family. This was incredibly difficult. But these feelings felt so natural to me, I honestly thought I was born gay. I honestly thought it was right to pursue my happiness in a homosexual lifestyle which consisted of partying and heavy drinking. For six years I was in a relationship. From time to time we'd have conversations about God, but it never interfered with our relationship until my partner encountered God. And God radically changed her. I witnessed changes in her that not within her power, like deliverance from homosexuality and smoking. There was surely the work of God I didn't even... This was surely the work of God. I didn't even really believe in God, but I came so curious. Because I knew something had taken place and I couldn't deny the changes in my ex-partner. Ex-partner. As I came to know about Jesus, I became deeply convicted that same-sex relationships were not natural or of God. Everything I believed in had been shaken. The belief I was born gay was a lie, and I was deceived in believing that lie. I couldn't believe how blinded I was, but when the truth of the gospel message prevailed, it completely changed me. It felt like a veil had been taken off my eyes. I could now see. I had been looking for love and acceptance in the wrong places. My true identity comes from God as I am made in his image and no one can love me like he does. 2017 was the year when I gave my life to Jesus. And since being convicted of my sin, I can honestly say that the living God has set me free from homosexuality and drinking. Today I walk in this freedom and reassurance of his everlasting love for me. That's the change that God makes in an individual life. That's the change that Jesus Christ makes. A person was convicted of their sin, found, knew the truth about Jesus Christ, embraced that, and there was a change. And there's this continuing change. And so I know we've touched on this, but how do I become a Christian? You know, when John writes, and I'm just going to briefly say this, he says this new birth doesn't become because your parents are Christians. doesn't become because your parents are Christians. Salvation doesn't come through the bloodstream. 
It's not something you can produce. It's actually not something I could produce. There's people I can think of and I love dearly in my life. I'd love them to be Christians. And you could think the same as well, I'm sure. Who are Christians here today? I'm not assuming everyone is. But it's not through the will of man, it is of God. I want to concentrate on this. Paul writes to the Romans, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. How do I become a Christian? If you're not a Christian, here's how you become a Christian. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just please sort of concentrate on that, meditate upon that. You will be saved, you will be a Christian. For with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. Paul writes to the people in Rome, and thus to us by implication to everyone. God says this. This is how God says you become a Christian. This is how you become saved. Saved from the coming judgment. Saved to know and enjoy a relationship with God. Eternal life now. And it's not through improving yourself and then coming to him. It's not through sort of getting yourself a bit in shape and then moving to him. That's not what the Bible says. It's actually not through coming to church as glad as we are to see everyone here today. It's this. Believe. Trust. Trust. That he is the saviour. That's what that really means, if I could say. God raised him from the dead. Salvation is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. It's not in your good works, not in any other. God raised him, proven him to be the saviour. Not mere intellectual acceptance, but a genuine belief for our whole being. That he is the saviour I need. He is the saviour you need. And the promise is, when a person does that, they are instantly declared righteous or justified in God's sight. And there is a confession. Now sometimes people say, you know, you need to go and tell people that you have become a Christian. Well that's true, but that's not what this verse is saying, I'll submit to you. You confess, you acknowledge before God that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He is the authority, not you. He is the master not you and so when we confess it means to say the same thing or to be in agreement with someone confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord you don't make him Lord he is Lord already but mankind individuals by nature live in rebellion to that and when we to become a Christian is to repent of that self-centeredness, that selfishness, confess that he truly is the Lord of my life and he alone is the saviour. You will be saved. Don't think to come and get yourself all washed up and then I'll do that. And it's simply that, that God saves a person and then he changes a person. 
What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came in to my heart or into my life. That's a hymn we sometimes sing. And that is absolutely true. But I just want to say, can I be mistaken about being a Christian? The answer is yes. To be frank, do I think all over 40% who typed or ticked a box saying Christian on a census are actually one? Uh, a Christian by the Bible's definition? I don't think so. This country would be radically different if that was true. Radically different. Let me read what is there. The words of the Lord Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name, did we not prophesy and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, Jesus doesn't mean he didn't have any knowledge of who they were. He has knowledge of everyone and everyone's thoughts. But the new is of that relationship with him. Not everyone who calls Jesus Lord, Lord shall enter. But as we read, only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's the first? What's the will of the Father? What's the will of God for you today? I can tell you the will of God for you today. To trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. To confess that he is Lord. And believe that he is the saviour you need not him plus anything else because you add anything to him for salvation you're detracting from him he alone <laughs> genuine save and faith trusting Christ alone for salvation we can be mistaken by thinking we're born in a so-called Christian country or we've got parents who are Christians we attend church we, we know things about Jesus we do good charity works or we once said a prayer you know, many of those things are good, but they don't make you a Christian. Trusting, confessing, God says makes you one. And so, I'm not here today to answer the question for you, am I a Christian? The Spirit of God answers that in you. But today I hopefully helped you to see what is a Christian how do I become a Christian? And is it possible to be mistaken about being a Christian? May we all be encouraged, if we are Christians, of the grace of God. And if we are not, may God's word speak powerfully to us today as well, to you. And may you today trust in him for eternal life and to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Shall we pray? Father, we just give thanks for your goodness to us. We thank you for the great message of the gospel. We thank you that there is a saviour to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ and there is a salvation that can be obtained through him and it is to all, offered to all, who will trust 
in him as their saviour and confess him as their Lord. Our prayer would be that we would all here do that today. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.